This podcast contains material that some listeners may find objectionable. It may contain graphic descriptions of atrocities committed during the 1937 Nanking Massacre in China. Welcome back to the wartime diaries of Minnie Votrin and Sen Shui Fan. On this episode, Votrin continues adjusting to life in a tenuous peacetime, and the refugees take steps toward normalcy. With Sen still stuck in bed, we take a detour to discuss Jinling during an earlier period of turmoil following the Nanking Incident. We begin with the diary of Minnie Votrin, Friday, January 14th. 1938. Again we are having sunshine and fairly warm weather. An untold blessing is continued. I've spent the day trying to get 28 bags of rice from a storehouse in a temple near Hillcrest to the college. If Riggs cannot secure a truck for us, we shall have to spend the day transporting by means of wheelbarrow and a heavy cart. Just as we had given up hope at about 3 p.m., Riggs turns up with it. This morning at 11.30, Mr. Wang and I again went to the gatehouse to get acquainted with our new guard. The head man is a farmer, another a mechanic, and still another works in a munition factory. We feel that this method of getting acquainted, although it takes time, is worthwhile. And thus, for our various guards have caused us no trouble. We would feel much better if they would select four good guards and make them our permanent guard instead of changing each day. The electric light is now on in at least one section of the city, and we are beginning to hear radio messages again. News has come of a great concentration of Chinese and Japanese forces near Xuchao. How I pity the common folk in that district. Tried to purchase a live pig today, but was told by a man who knows that there are none for scores of miles around Nanking. Horse meat, mule meat, and even dog meat are on sale, but no pork or beef. Radiogram from Elsie Priest today saying Dr. Wu is in Chengtu. When conditions become peaceful, if they ever do, Somehow, I would like to reward our watchdog at the practice school with a distinguished service medal of some kind. He certainly is a faithful night watchman. This afternoon and evening saw two large fires, one in the northwest and the other to the east. Looting and burning, its aftermath continue. A fearful amount of loot is appearing on streets. The lower elements of the population are having their opportunity. Those elements that are released when the police force are not present. A military police and a common soldier were found looting in a foreign house today. In the fall of 1927, Minnie and her colleagues returned to Jinling without the approval of the U.S. Consul in order to resume the school's operations following the Nanking incident. 
In an effort to avoid diplomatic issues, the foreign teachers did not leave the college gate for eight months. During this time, the educational aspects of Jinling flourished, but the new nationalist government made many demands, forcing students to participate in patriotic ceremonies and parades. There was unrest in Nanking, and students across the city unionized to protest the government. By late November, Jinling was the only school in the city not on strike. This reading comes from the biography of Minnie's life, American Goddess at the Rape of Nanking. Although Minnie had been very busy with administrative work since her return to Nanking on September 20th, she did not forget about Jinling's poor neighborhoods. In the middle of November, she once again carried on the good neighbor policy, asking students to visit the families near the campus one by one on Sunday morning, and to invite women and children in the neighborhood to attend that afternoon's gatherings designated especially for them. Minnie regarded these neighbors as her old friends and was delighted to see them, and they warmly chatted with her and expressed their regrets about the Nanking incident that had happened in the spring. Minnie also took them to see the blooming chrysanthemums, cultivated by her along with the gardeners, on the campus and gave them some to take home to plant. At the same time, Minnie also faced another problem. The nationalist government frequently sent officials to inspect Jinling and requested the college to register with the government. If Jinling did so, it would have to drastically change its current curriculum and administrative structure to comply with the government's regulations. At first, Minnie called a special committee to make a careful study of the registration matter, and then decided to postpone the final decision until the political situation in Qing became more stable. However, in order to comply with the Chinese government's regulation that all presidents of universities and colleges must be Chinese natives, Jinling's board of founders in the United States named Wu Yifeng, one of the five students of the college's first graduating class, to be its first Chinese president after she received her doctorate in biology from the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. During the turbulent academic year of 1927-28, with the political unrest in Nanking, the rise of the student movements, and threats to foreign teachers' lives at any moment, even a person as persistent as Minnie could not predict whether Jinling would sail through the year. Yet, her determination, courage, and perseverance, as well as the effort and cooperation of some 20 Chinese and foreign faculty, as well as the students, enabled Jinling to overcome many difficulties to complete the academic year. In July of 1928, Jinling held commencement, granting 21 young Chinese women the bachelor's degree the largest graduating class since the college was founded in 1915. In September 1928, Jinling started its fall semester as scheduled. Its new president, Dr. Wu Yifeng, took office, and Minnie, as Dean of Studies and Chairperson of the Education Department, still handled Jinling's daily administrative affairs. By then, she already regarded Jinling as her home often commenting on the beauty and tranquility of the campus to her friends and associates. In her letter to Elizabeth Bender of September 22, 1928, she wrote, 
I wish that you could see the view from this window as I'm writing. Over the east, I can see Purple Mountain with lovely purplish shadows hovering over it. And in the foreground, I see our own students out strolling near the lotus pond. Minnie was more hopeful about the new China than she had been in years. Now we return to 1938. Here is Minnie's diary from Saturday, January 15th. Between 6 and 7 this morning, 10 planes went over Nanking to the southwest, and we thought with dread of the bombing that we thought would probably occur in Chiyokyong, Hankou, or Changsha a few hours hence. The planes were all lighted and looked as gay as if they were carrying a merry group of passengers off for a holiday. This morning, Jin Yangguan, the Chinese ex-preacher who interpreted for the Japanese military official at the time of registration two weeks ago, came quietly into my office alone this morning, and I think wanted to ask if he and his family could come and live on the campus, and he would help with evangelistic work. It seems that he is now in danger due to the fact that the above-mentioned military man married a young Chinese woman living in his home, and other officials do not approve of the marriage, through jealousy or other better reasons, and so they are not pleased with Jan. Evidently, he is enough afraid and thinks it is best to move from his present location and to give up his present work. How much of his story to take as authentic, I do not know. Forster came in this morning and says his workers can give us five days a week for meetings. We must work out the plan. They will prepare the topics and give the talks. We'll begin meetings on Monday next. He also reported to me that Chen Yue Mei's piano and Victrola have been taken, as well as their beds. This afternoon, I reported to Japanese embassy the cases of 26 women whose husbands or sons have been taken and have not returned. In every case, the husband had not been a soldier, and in many of the cases, he was the only wage earner in a large family. I wonder how many of these men were killed in those first ruthless days of slaughter. Every shot I heard in those days I felt meant the death of some man, probably innocent. For the first time in many days a soldier came onto our campus, paid no attention to gate man, and was found by me entering a room in Southwest Dormitory where there were refugees. He was willing to leave when I escorted him out. Had a gift today from the American Embassy, two chickens and some eggs. They got them from farmers who came up to the side of the USS Oahu. Also received the good news that our case of valuables has probably been recovered in Toto by a Russian diver from the sunken USS Penne. They cannot raise the boat as it is fast being buried by silt in the bottom of the Yangtze. For Mrs. Thurston's sake, I'm especially glad as her wedding silver was in it. She had left it in the college vault. Tonight, Rabba, Kruger, McGee, Bates, Smith, Bauer, Trimmer, Mills, and I were guests at the Japanese embassy. We had a pleasant evening, and our lips uttered jokes, though often our hearts were heavy. I think it was worthwhile to come to know each other better. 
Tanaka, Fukuda, and Fukue were the hosts. The dinner was as international as the group, being Chinese, Japanese, and Western foods. We have no guard at the gate tonight. May all be well with us. This is the sum of Sen's entries during this period. January 13th, 14th, and 15th. Because I'm sick and bedridden, I have not written anything in the diary. No accidents happen outside. It is usually unavoidable to have the Japanese soldiers coming. Yesterday, the Japanese devils did not come. However, the situation is better than before. The refugees still come and go. No more Japanese guards at the front gate. Probably all left and were suddenly transferred to the front to fight. There's Pinkert for sale. 240 cents for one square. It is really expensive. Today, another child died. Votrin's Diary, Sunday, January 16th. Again, the blessing of a warm sunshine day. The snow which has been threatening seems to have changed its mind about coming. As usual, early this morning we heard many planes start out on their work of destruction of cities and railways. The campus is such a busy place these days, women washing clothes and hanging them on every shrub and tree, others going out to the rice kitchen for soft rice gruel, still others going home for the day who expect to come back for the night. The big road leading out of the campus always seems crowded. We still do not let men in on the campus, and they accept the regulation as reasonable, for they know we are trying our best to protect their women and children, and their words of appreciation show how grateful they are for that. Fires continue every day, but not as many as formerly. You should see Ninghai, Hankou, and especially Shanghai roads. Little shops are now being built along the sides, and there are literally hundreds of people selling everything from food to looted garments and dishes. Fish, 40 cents per pound, cabbage, 10 cents, carrots, 3 cents, etc. Prices are gradually going down. Not many soldiers now in safety zone. The university and our guard have been withdrawn. Church this morning was well attended. Mary stayed at home this morning while I went to Chinese church, and I stayed home this afternoon while she went. Cyril came home with her, and I gave him a bunch of Ruth's and Florence's letters to read. He does not know where his wife is. She was supposed to leave Japan the first week in January, but she has not arrived in Shanghai. This afternoon, our servants finished making a net, and later we took 23 fish out of one of our ponds. Three of them were four-pounders. We shall share with our friends as well as have enough for servants and staff. There are still some big ones left in the pond, for we saw them escape the net. Tomorrow we are beginning a series of evangelistic meetings. Tonight distributed 200 tickets to those in recitation hall who really want to go. Not admitting children and do not want people to go just out of curiosity. The new rulers have large posters now posted outside the safety zone, 
urging people to go home. The picture shows two soldiers, a farmer, a mother, and children. The soldiers seem very friendly and kind, and the people in the picture seem very grateful to their benefactors. The words imply that the people should go to their homes and all will be well. Surely this is less tension in the city, and many people, especially old ones, are experimenting on going home. At first they go only during the day, and if nothing happens they remain. Young women are still very much afraid. We finish with Sen's diary of the same day. Last night, the Japanese consulate invited members of the International Committee for dinner. Voltron was also invited. I think the Japanese invited them as kitchen gods, because the Japanese want these people to say good things about them. It has been cloudy for three days with a little bit of light snow. Today, it is sunny. Now we have meat to eat, and so do the workers. They eat whatever we do, but there are more of them. On the next episode, Sen recovers from illness and resumes her regular entries. There's a sense of calm on the campus, but Minnie struggles to move past the horrors she has witnessed. Thanks for listening.